Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. So if you have your Bibles this morning, um, we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 10, um, specifically verses 38 to 42, and we're going to read um, a story and uh, about some folks that, uh, well, two people in specific. One who is uh, very preoccupied with literally everything, and one that has chosen to do nothing more than to sit at the feet um, of Jesus. Uh, and I believe there are lessons uh, in both of these uh, people uh, that are important for us to understand as we go today. Uh, so again, uh, the verses will be up here on the screen. They're in the discussion booklet, but if you've got your Bible as well, you can feel free to take that out. It's Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, so if some of the words seem a little bit different, that might be why. But brothers and sisters, hear this, the word of the Lord. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. May God bless the reading of his word. I think it's really funny that when I was uh, asked to teach this morning and uh, praying about, Lord, what should, what should I teach? What passage should I pick? Uh, because, you know, coming in and in the middle of a sermon series is, you don't want to give everybody whiplash, and it's kind of hard to narrow down just one little passage and pack something into a 30, 35-minute sermon. But, you know, the Lord leads me to this passage, and then as we're making the final preparations this morning uh, to, to deliver the, the message, and I got to applaud the guys in AV and everything behind the scenes. It's, it's a lot more of a production than, than people, people think. But we're running through everything, and I go up there, and I'm sitting with my son who's on the screens, and he's asking, uh, Dad, what's going on? <laughs> and he pulls up the screens to, to upload the slides in there, and I tried to save Jared a little bit of work and, and exported everything myself, and apparently I didn't do it right because it was all blank PowerPoint screens. And, <laughs> and I'm furiously typing in the room, trying to fix that, end up fixing that, furiously typing back here, getting him an outline, have to figure out how to print it because I don't have right, access to all the printers, and it was just a mess, and I'm out there in the lobby trying to do something else that I normally do on a Sunday morning, and one of the ministry team leaders comes up to me and asks me how I'm doing, and I'm just like, <laughs> so she prays real quick, just prays a blessing, and then she takes a look at the, at the uh, discussion booklet, looks at it, reads the passage, and she says, boy, this is appropriate, and I sit there and laugh, and I'm like, Man, aren't we all a bunch of Marthas this morning? 
myself especially. Um, but that goes to uh, exactly what this passage is about this morning, which is uh, you know, there, there's so many things going on, and we, we can get preoccupied with any number of one of these things. And uh, it, if it's not one thing, it's another. That's just kind of how life works. But if we let those things snowball, we can start to freak out and stress out. And all of a sudden, oh my gosh, everything's a mess, and it's, it's going to be horrible, and, and uh, I don't even have this right, and did I do X, Y, Z, and all this other type of stuff. And it's just like, you know what? At 10 o'clock every Sunday... We get to come here and sit at the feet of the king, and we get to worship him, and we get to hear from him. And that is the long and the short of this, but the, the thing that we need to remember is that all of these things can distract us. Uh, sometimes they're even good things. Sometimes they're things like worrying about, oh my gosh, I did something wrong, and, and it's going to be bad. But sometimes they're really good things. But uh, fellowshipping with the Lord and receiving and hearing from the Lord and worshiping God, that is the most important thing and should always be our top priority. We've got two different people that we're going to look at here this morning. Um, sisters, Martha uh, and Mary. And we see, uh, at first, Martha is preoccupied with a whole lot of different things. Uh, at first, if you notice in, uh, in Luke chapter 10, Martha welcomes the Lord into her house. She receives him with gladness. Some of your uh, Bibles, if you're not reading out of the ESV, may render this as receiving him or receiving him gladly into her house. And uh, I want to make sure that we understand exactly what this reception means. This is not simply, oh, hey, Jesus, you can come over and just kick your feet up and hang out at my house for a couple of hours. That's not how it works. Jesus is going to come over and watch the football game with us or anything like that. that, that that's not what reception is uh, in Jewish culture in uh, the first century ancient Near East. That's not what hospitality is. Hospitality is deeply ingrained into this culture. Uh, it is something that receiving somebody into your house is not done lightly. This is uh, reserved typically for guests, for people who you acknowledge are sent by God for um, guests of honor, people to whom you wish to pay respect. And so those, uh, it, there's a huge thing beyond just a simple gesture of kindness that's happening here. Uh, there is going to be uh, a feast of some kind that is expected. Uh, it is also customary that when you receive somebody that you basically board them. So you allow, you put themselves up in your home, at your expense, typically, for the duration of their stay, however long that is. And not only that person, but oftentimes, all of the people in the traveling party as well. Jesus didn't travel with, like, armies and armies, but he did have a pretty big following, for the most part. At least 12. Sometimes 70, sometimes hundreds, right? And so all of that is to say that when Martha receives Jesus into her house, she is planning on this big feast for Jesus and his traveling party. She's planning on putting all of these people up. That is a massive undertaking. And so that helps us get into her frame 
um, of mind. And all of these things are basically at the core of what it means to be Jewish culturally. This is, a, this is a huge, huge deal and a huge commitment that Martha has made, but she's done so gladly until she gets to see uh, all of the tasks that need to be done. And so uh, as we move on, we can see that all of this takes the whole of Martha's focus. She starts to become distracted. She starts to become overwhelmed. She starts to think like, I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. And all of a sudden, it looks like me trying to cook in the kitchen. Uh, Anne can attest. Don't answer that, please. But it, it, it all turns out, and it turns out well in the end, but a lot of times it's, it's like a three-alarm dumpster fire in my kitchen because all of the things that need to happen, and I'm running around trying to keep all of this stuff in line. This is what Martha's kind of doing, too. She's trying to prep everything. She's trying to make sure everything's just so. All the table settings are in the right place. How many people did we have again? Was it 12, or was it 13, or was it 40? I don't remember. And uh, making sure that things are, are cooking right, and there's all kinds of plates that are spinning, so to say, in the air that Martha is trying to occupy. Uh, and so she's seeing all this, and, and it's, it's not that these tasks aren't unimportant, but there's so many of them that it crowds out everything else that's going, um, going on, and Martha becomes overwhelmed. And when Martha becomes overwhelmed, uh, this leads, number one, to anxiety on Martha's part, but number two, it also leads to conflict, because her sister Mary, who... Martha would expect is going to be helping her out a little bit and sharing the load so it's not Martha doing this whole undertaking on her own, is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach. And so that is going to lead to conflict. At this moment, Martha becomes not only uh, preoccupied and anxious with what she is doing, but she also becomes preoccupied and frustrated with what other people are not doing. And that's where Martha gets into uh, a little bit of trouble because this is neither helpful nor edifying to Mary or to Martha. When I start uh, worrying about all of the things that I have to do and then I start worrying about all of the other things that everybody else isn't doing that I think that they should be doing, uh, I kind of get a little bit out of whack. I can get frustrated, I can get short, I can snap at people, um, and everything like that. Had an example of that this morning. I had to repent to my 14-year-old son because they were messing around in the lobby with a ball, which I've told them they shouldn't do. They should be outside or whatever. Well, youngest slips on the ball, bangs his knee on the ground. There's, there's a scene. And so my immediate reaction is just, get out! Get outside! Because... I'm overwhelmed with everything that I'm trying to do, and they're not doing the things that they should be doing. And so my immediate reaction is just, <laughs> I'm going to just lash out, and it's not a controlled response or anything like that. This is kind of where Martha is with all of this. And so she turns around, and she just says, Lord, do you not care? My sister has left me to serve by myself. She's just sitting there at your feet doing nothing listening to you talk. While I'm over here spinning all the plates and trying to remember how many people are coming and making sure the table setting is all in place and making sure that I don't burn everything but I actually cook everything properly and X, Y, Z. I'm doing all this stuff and she's just sitting at your feet. What gives? 
But Mary, we see, actually is going to have the different mindset. She's foregoing helping with this preparation because she is choosing to hear from the Lord. She sits at Jesus' feet, and she's not doing nothing. She's listening to Jesus teach, which, again, was not uncommon at this time. Rabbis would travel itinerantly throughout the land of Judea, Israel, that whole region, and whenever they came to a particular town, some people would receive them, and they would have a place, and they would sit down, and they would listen while this rabbi was talking. So what Mary's doing with Jesus is not really out of the ordinary at all. How many stories do we have about Jesus going to somebody's house and sitting there and teaching, right? We've got four Gospels chock full of them. And John even says, I suppose that there wouldn't be a library big enough to chronicle all of the things that Jesus did, right? So this is just a selection. And don't mistake what I'm about to say, but Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the King of the universe, God incarnate, but in first century Judea, he's one rabbi, one itinerant rabbi among many itinerant rabbis. So this is common, this, this idea of having uh, people come in and just sitting and listening. Um, it's a sign of discipleship that Mary has placed herself at the feet of Jesus to listen to him teach. That is how you were, uh, that's how you became identified with a particular rabbi. If you were to be a disciple or an acolyte of that rabbi, you would come and sit at their feet and ask them to teach you. So this is a super, super common thing, but there's a source of conflict here because Martha is toiling away, making all these preparations, and Mary, on the other hand, is, uh, is just sitting there, and Martha becomes so exasperated that she asks Jesus, like, hey, don't you care? I'm trying to make your feast for you over here, but I don't have enough help to make your feast over here because people are too busy listening to you. Tell her to help me. I don't want to interrupt you teaching. I don't want you to stop teaching and do anything. You're the, place, you're the teacher of honor. You're a rabbi. By all the means, do your teaching thing, but could you just tell my sister to stop listening to you for a minute so she can help me out? When we phrase it that way, it seems kind of silly, but we can all be Martha, and I'll explain why, so hang on to that here, uh, here and we'll get back to that. But um, Jesus, in his response, instead of uh, being like, yes, Mary, stop listening to me and go help your sister. He has a gentle rebuke for Martha. He says, Martha, you, you're anxious about a lot. You've got a lot on your plate. You're doing a lot of stuff right now. But there's only one thing that's really, truly important, and your sister has chosen that, and I'm not going to take that away from her. In other words, the meal can wait. Or who cares if the meal isn't perfect? Who cares if the table settings aren't in the right spots? Who cares if everything isn't perfect exactly the way that you want it, Martha? None of that really matters. I'm teaching here. Martha is worried about the meal. She's worried about the feast. 
But at this point, she does not quite understand yet that Mary is already feasting. She's feasting on the bread of life. She's feasting um, on the best dish that Jesus said, I am the bread of life that's come down from heaven. Just like the manna in the desert given to the forefathers of Israel. Don't get me wrong. Anybody who knows me knows I love food. Food is not the most important thing in the world. Right? God said something about that. Well, Moses said something about that. God by way of Moses and then Jesus used it against Satan. Right? Deuteronomy 8, chapter 3. The reason that manna came to the desert was to show the Israelites that man doesn't live by bread alone. But man lives by every, every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so when God speaks, uh, we would do well to listen because when God speaks, that is the most important thing at that time. Everything else, even stuff that's good, even stuff that's important, can wait. When we have an opportunity for fellowship with the Lord, we must put that as the priority over other things. Relationship with the Lord should always be top priority. Now, there are a couple of things that are going on in here now that we've gone through this. Um, first, this uh, barely missing it kind of thing is a, is a common thing. There are uh, people who missed the good portion, and they just narrowly missed it. Um, it was happening right in front of them, but they could not quite get there. Uh, there's a passage in Mark chapter 14 and John chapter 12 when Jesus is at a dinner and there's a woman who takes this, excuse me, this jar or flask of anointing oil and she breaks it and she pours it all over Jesus' feet and, and anoints him. Jesus says for his burial. When this happens, Anybody remember what the reaction was from the crowd? Oh, that's so sweet. She's anointing him. It's amazing. Why is she doing that? Doesn't she know how expensive that is? We could have sold it at market and given it all the way to the poor. Nobody here is going to argue that that wouldn't be a perfectly acceptable course of action. Right? Last time I checked, helping the poor was a good thing. Our God's in favor of helping the poor last time I checked, right? But the people are preoccupied with all of this stuff. And Jesus says, there's opportunities for that everywhere. The poor, you're, you're always going to have the poor with you. But you won't always have me. She is anointing me for burial. She has done what she could, Jesus says. And so they missed this opportunity. There's, there's ample opportunity to do good things, and we should. But choosing the best thing is often a short-lived opportunity. And if we don't do it, we miss it. And we miss out on something. You can talk about the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Brett's going to get there in where? He's like Mark chapter 8, 9 right now. So 
February maybe? January, February, somewhere around there? I'm, I'm spitballing. But um, the rich young ruler, he says, hey, I've done all of these things, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Fulfill the law. Rich young ruler says what? I've done all that. I've done all that since I was young. What, what am I missing? Because he knows he's missing something. And Jesus says, one thing you lack. Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Follow me. And the rich young ruler does what? He says, okay. Right? No, he goes away sad because he was exceedingly wealthy. So his, um, what was told to him, he was so close. And what was told to him at that moment, that short-lived opportunity, he missed it. We have right before this, we have the lawyer who's hearing the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right before this passage that we're talking about today. He's talking about all this stuff and, you know, you love your neighbor and everything like that. And he sits there, he's like, I'm going to get this Jesus. Who is my neighbor exactly? Who do I have to be loving towards? And Jesus tells the parable about this person that was beat up um, by robbers, was mugged and, and left in a bad way. And the priest walks by and is like, nope, not touching that. And the Levite walks by and says, nope not touching that, and a Samaritan. Now, I cannot articulate, I cannot articulate the disparity that's going on here for Jesus. Uh, to, to, to talk to a Jew about a Samaritan, and a Samaritan being the ideal. It would be like insert person of political party affiliation here and then put somebody on the other side over here. <gasps> the scandal of a Samaritan being the example to a Jew. And if you notice, when Jesus says, which one of these was neighborly to the person that was beaten up, the lawyer can't even get the actual word out of his mouth. He just sits there and he's just, the one that showed him mercy. that close. When Jesus talks to the scribes at the end of Matthew, um, in, in the time right before he's going, to, um, he's going to go to the cross, there's a back and forth that he has with the scribe, and the scribe answers well. He says, I, I, I know all of these things. You are speaking correctly and wisely. You are speaking the truth. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And then he turns right around and he warns everybody about the scribes. So uh, you can see that the, the scripture is replete with people who came so close and just missed this good portion. Similarly, as the rich and ruler didn't understand what kept him from following the Lord and the lawyer with the parable of the Good Samaritan didn't understand what it meant to, to love your neighbor, Martha doesn't fully grasp what's happening here. The things that she's doing are well-intentioned, and they're good, but they're not the best thing. So for us, we have some things to think about here, too. 
uh, as humans, and particularly humans in the digital age, um, we can become preoccupied with, well, anything and overwhelmed about everything. I don't have it in my pocket, but if I pull out my little device here, this little thing, everybody pretty much has got one, uh, has been designed to basically throw stuff in your face pretty much 24-7, right? Ding! Oh, I got to check what that thing is, right? Maybe somebody liked my post. Oh, they didn't like my post? Now I got to figure out why they didn't like my post. They normally like my... Or better yet, getting an argument in the comment section. I'm good, for, I'm good for two of those a week. We can be distracted by many of those things. I'll give you a couple not great examples, but not all of these things are bad, right? Not all of these things are bad. I have the opportunity. Um, my sons are, two of them are playing sports, and so... Um, Thank goodness a lot of their games, most of their games are on Saturdays or Sunday afternoons. Um, but there is, the odd there is the odd time where something is on a Sunday morning, and so we're kind of like, eh, do we come, do we go, what do we do? If it's here, we come, and then we run off to the fields. If it's out of town, we're out of town for the whole weekend, there's not a whole lot we can do about that. And so it's, as we're driving to the field, do I sit there and do I let Dalton listen to his hype music and get all ready to go to the game or whatever, or do I pop the Bay Ridge stream on and try to hear from the Lord. Sitting there bonding with my son over music, over talking, over that kind of stuff, it's a great thing. Not the best thing on a Sunday morning. The best thing on a Sunday morning is hearing from the Lord. Uh, there are all kinds of other good things that can distract us. We've listed a few from Martha, being, hosp being hospitable. Last time I checked, that's a really good thing. God commends hospitality in the scriptures. But when the hospitality becomes a thing kind of unto itself and you lose sight of what the hospitality is for, that becomes a problem. So we can become preoccupied with things that are very easily distracting um, or things that are good that can uh, take away our attention and can uh, divert our focus from the good portion of fellowship with and hearing from the Lord. More than that, and this gets to the heart of where I think Martha's at, kind of, um, and I certainly know that this is where I was at, and a few, of, a few uh, of the others of us were at this morning, is that it, there's a lot going on, and there's a lot of moving parts, and so there is distraction with this, but there's also a deep anxiety that comes with this that things aren't where I want them to be. This isn't perfect in my definition of perfect. And somehow uh, we feel like we're going to do a disservice to, uh, to you all or um, it's going to be somehow like less pleasing to God or you know, it's going to be a bad look for us or whatever. Put, put all those things in there. Uh, and, and we can get really, really anxious about those things because it's not going the way that we want or it's not working 100% properly or all of the stuff was blank slides because I didn't export it properly or pro presenters acting up again or you know, any of that type of stuff. That's just a couple of examples um, that we'll relate here. Uh, 
But I feel like Martha's feeling this too. She knows deep down that, that the preparation, she can't do the preparation by herself, and if she tries to do the preparation by herself, it's not going to be perfect or up to standard or whatever. And so when you get that, especially when you have a guest of significance and you've received somebody as important uh, into your home, that idea that it's not going to be up to expectation can weigh really, really heavily on somebody. And I think that's something I don't think we have to look far, many of us, maybe not all of us, but many of us beyond ourselves, don't have to look too far uh, beyond ourselves to know what that feels like. And we're kind of like, ah, this is not up to standard, and we kind of get a little angsty about it. And then push comes to shove, it's time to, it's, it's go time, it's just like, okay, here it is. If I can be, if I can have a real talk moment with, with you guys, soul bearing a little bit. I don't know about the other guys who come up here and teach the word of God on a regular basis when Brett's um, away or taking a week off or anything like that. But I know that perfection streak, and I know that is this good enough, or I haven't had the amount of time that I would have liked to, to study on this, or things aren't going quite right, or I don't even know if I got this passage, the thrust of this passage 100% correct or anything like that. Um, that's me more often than not when I stand up here. So uh, just know I'm preaching to myself as much as I am preaching to anybody else right now that is like, Yes, all those things are important, right? Study the Word of God. Do your best. Make sure, you have, all, make sure you, you have everything in a row to the best of your ability. But here's the thing to remember with that, is that it doesn't say, well done, preacher who never delivered a swing and a miss sermon, who never had a problem exporting his PowerPoint slides. Well done, good AV people who never had a computer problem ever or a sound problem ever. Or well done, person who attended church 52 Sundays a year for your entire life. Don't get me wrong, attending church is very important. I think we've, we've made that clear, right? But... Uh, Sometimes stuff happens, and it's not going to be perfect, and it's not going to be the way you want. The Lord is best pleased with those who are faithful in the right things. Going back to the woman who anointed Jesus' feet, he said, he didn't say, oh, what a beautiful thing, this is perfect. He said, she's done what she could. She had this to give, she offered it to me. She's done what she could. The woman with the two mites, right? People walking by dropping coins on coins on coins, like, I don't know, 11 billion shekels in the, in the coin coffer just to hear them clang. She drops her two mites in there, and Jesus says what? She gave more than anybody. Really? Jesus, math ain't mathing on that. Tell you what, they gave out of their abundance. That's all she had. And she gave it. She did what she could. Martha, just do what you can. Mary's sitting at the feet. 
Incidentally, John chapter 12, they identify. John identifies the woman who is anointing Jesus for burial. Guess who it is? It's Mary. She did what she could. She had the right, she was faithful in the right things. Now, before we move to applying this and asking ourselves some questions, I do want to get one thing clear. A lot of people read this passage, and a lot of people give Martha a really bad rap, and I've built a pretty good case here to give Martha a bad rap this morning, but I want to undo that a little bit. There are times when Martha is the example, right? Work hard. Do your very best. And all of those things. Some people like to read through this and they give Martha the whole bad rap and they're like, everybody needs to be like Mary. Be Mary in a Martha world, right? Well, sometimes we got to be Martha. That's just the reality of things. So what Martha's doing here isn't bad. What Mary's chosen is better. And what Mary has chosen is best. It is necessary uh, and good that we, uh, specifically as it relates to Jesus, be a Mary. But we don't need to throw Martha out and say she's useless and worthless and everything like that. There are attributes that are good there. But when it comes to choosing, am I going to focus on perfection? Am I going to focus on all of these things? Are there all of these things crowding and demanding my attention? Am I going to focus on that? Or am I going to focus on the opportunity to sit at the feet of the Lord and hear from him and commune with him? That is, uh, that is when Mary and her good portion become our good portion, when we choose uh, to lay our perfection down and to lay, um, I'm so busy, look at all these things I'm doing for you, God, that I don't have time to sit at your feet. Guilty. And all of those things, we need to lay those things down and choose the good portion. Um, so uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to move into applying the word here real quick. There's three questions, three things that I want us to think about, and then we'll come to the Lord's table. And the first question is, in what ways am I choosing the good portion? Because I don't want us to mistake here and think like, oh my gosh, I'm never choosing the good portion, or I'm only choosing the good portion 45% of the time. That's Martha speak, Right? Encourage us, find the ways that we are choosing the good portion and build on that. Do those things more frequently. Try to incorporate those, incorporate those things as uh, healthy habits or whatever the jargon is today, right? Habit stacking, all that stuff. And, and focus on some of the ways that we are choosing the good portion. Those of you that have come this morning those of you who are watching online and you're worshiping God and you're hearing the sermon this morning, congratulations, you've chosen the good portion this morning. Right? When you, um, when you are able to read your Bible on a regular basis and study it and try to hear from the Lord through the scriptures, you're choosing the good portion. When you fellowship with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it's coffee before service, in a connect group during the week, invading Greg's barn, 18 or 19 of us a couple weeks ago, and just having burgers and talking, 
we're choosing the good portion there. And so I encourage you, uh, first off, evaluate and figure out what ways am I choosing that good portion, and then encourage yourself to continue pushing towards those things. Secondly, what things in our lives can distract or overwhelm us so that we miss the good portion? Again, these can be really good things. I'm going to bifurcate this question a little bit. There are things for all of us that are, um, that are distracting and robbing us from the good portion. I know the Ravens are playing in London right now. For some people, that might be something that's robbing you of the good portion this morning. Or it might be listening to hype music on the way to the soccer game instead of streaming church and hearing from the Lord. Or it could be anything in between. It could be any number of things. I often float around. Some of you guys will see me. Those of you know me, I'm up and down and up and down a lot because I'm checking and making sure that there are enough people, enough communion packets for everybody and making sure that everything's in order and everybody's got it and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes I come back in and the, and the sermon's half or two-thirds or three-quarters done and I'm like, well, guess I missed that. All right, Martha. All of those things can, um, can distract from, from us, but the most important thing is we do that. And then a follow-on to that is what are the good things? I just gave you some good things that can distract us as well because there are good things. There are things that we can be, that can be perfectly important that can be, um, that can be in the way of the best thing. We want to try to uh, steer ourselves towards choosing the best thing. Are we going to be perfect about it? No. Are we going to beat ourselves up about it? I hope not. We shouldn't. God is faithful, and God is best pleased with folks who are faithful with the right, in the right things, in the right ways. It's not so much about all the things that we can do as much as it's our posture. When we get the opportunity to hear from God, when we get the opportunity to fellowship, when we get the opportunity to grow together as a church um, toward God and toward, to, toward each other. Wow, double prepositions there. The, um, those are all good and great things. So we're going to come to the table. And this is going to be the table of appropriately the good portion because we uh, have this opportunity to be uh, to commune with the Lord in communion uh, this bread and cup represents uh, Christ's body and Christ's blood but what happens is um, God meets us through this meal um, and uh, it is a reminder to us um, that he is the good portion. That uh, he did all of the work for us. He did all of the perfect stuff so that we don't have to stress out about getting everything right and being all perfect and everything like that. We need to just sit and hear from him and listen to his teachings and tell us uh, the things that we ought to do next. And so, 
Um, in a moment, the guys are going to come forward and they're going to pass out the elements and then we'll take them together. Um, but I want to encourage you, as, uh, as they do here in a moment, uh, you're going to hear some music and just ponder this idea of the good portion. What, what ways am I pursuing it? What ways, uh, what things are kind of maybe distracting me a little bit from it? Uh, and ask God to uh, help you by the Spirit uh, as we take this meal together to um, pursue that uh, with all that you are. Um, you do not need to be a member of Bay Ridge Christian Church to partake uh, in the meal that we're about to partake in together. Um, but you do need to be uh, a Christian. You need to be a believer in the Lord Jesus. So if you can say, yes, Christ is my good portion. Uh, he is my Savior. He lived the life I couldn't live, died the death I deserved to die, and uh, redeemed me and reconciled me to God, forgiving my sins and allowing me to walk with him in a new life. If that's you, then please join us as we partake in this meal. If that's not you, if you're not sure about this whole good portion thing, um, if you're not sure about this Jesus and everything like that, um, I would encourage you, uh, just let it go by. Um, talk to an elder or somebody afterwards. We'd love to have that conversation with you. Um, but this is a meal for believers who profess um, these things. Uh, brothers and sisters, I invite you to the table of good portion. For I received from the Lord what I now pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink from it, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for giving us the good portion, the bread of life from heaven. sent for us. Lord, may we always remember that you are our portion. You gave of yourself for us because we in our weakness could not and would not rescue ourselves. Lord, we thank you as we take this bread. Help us to remember the sacrifice that you gave, the body that was broken, so that we might, through you, be made whole. Brothers and sisters, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. Lord Jesus, you said yourself that sitting at your feet and receiving from you was the good portion. They did not know then, but we do know now that that included you giving yourself up for your people to save them from their sins. 
So, Lord, we, your people by faith, ask this morning that your sacrifice would never be far from our minds, that your teachings, that the life you lived, the death you died, and the life eternal that you both now have and will give to us would never be far from our minds. We ask for grace to remain still at your feet all the days of our lives. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. Stand with me if you would. Lord, we ask by the power of your spirit that we are able today to rest in your presence. That we are able to rejoice in your finished work and that in our best efforts that they are not a measure of success or failure in your eyes but that we must simply sit at your feet. As we venture into the world this week, help us, enable us to understand better how to choose the good portion. And to sit at your feet when that is right, and to work when that is right, and to trust you with the outcome of that work. We ask this for your glory, and for Christ's sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, receive this benediction from Ephesians chapter 3. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Brothers and sisters, we are blessed beyond measure that we might go forth and be a blessing to others. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.